electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Inflation nation. Hot, hot, hot. Core rates in the U.S. hitting highs not seen since the 80s. 1981. Let's see. I remember. I remember. Urgent by Foreigner. Hold on tight by ELO. You got Betty Davis eyes being. Oh, no. Really? Who's crying now by Journey? And how that connects to China's latest battle with COVID. Former Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd on the sweeping lockdowns. I think the impact of what's happening in China will be an overall economic slowdown, at least for the quarter ahead. Those big stories today, plus Etsy sellers on strike. Fees are going up, so they're virtually walking out. That's kind of a jerk move to move to six and a half percent. That's a significant take when all you are doing is providing the platform. It's Tuesday, April 12th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. We start the podcast today with inflation. Consumer prices on everyday items surged last month to the highest levels since the early days of the Reagan administration. That's according to today's release of the Consumer Price Index, which showed a March increase of 8.5%. That is the highest level in a long time since December 1981. Now, the CPI measures a broad basket of goods and services that we pay for out of pocket. Breakfast cereal and milk, meals at restaurants, rent, fuel, airline fares, even clothes. Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin took on higher prices today. I'll hand it off to Becky. Rising food costs, rising energy prices, rising rents, you know all of this if you filled your gas tank up if you've been to the grocery store lately. That is true. I've been experiencing it myself. I think you know gas prices are down 10 cents. At 3.97, I saw if you paid cash in New Jersey. I which, pay cash. Uh, 3.97, I saw. I don't know why. I don't know why you do either. I don't know why. I, I don't. hate giving up my cash. I know. But uh, I, I, I don't know why. I go to the same place and I always say. And you pay cash. I do. Wow. Creature I do. of habit. Huh? Creature of habit. Well, and the, may- the, the, the worst thing is the most the, the saddest, most ridiculous thing is that in my car I. I get the 93 octane, like a total mooch. I get the, 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 yeah, the highest the octane, octane that I can that get. You are, that you are leasing. Yeah, I'm leasing. <laughs> I'm going to give it back I'm anyway. leasing, and I don't think the octane matters uh, at all. I and really you don't. Do, you do it anyway. And I do it anyway. And it literally is not 397. It's like 597. Right. But right. I pay cash. More cash than you need in your pocket <laughs> for these But days. maybe you should be paying Bitcoin. So consumers are taking a hit. Clearly, we shop, we pump gas, we see the price tags. Now, this hot inflation data puts even more pressure on the Federal Reserve to rein it in by hiking interest rates. Except the aggressive monetary policy the Fed uses to combat this inflation, it could end up prompting a broader economic slowdown, a traffic jam of lending. Also in the mix, wages, real earnings, even though they went up to, have not kept pace with inflation's impact on the cost of living. And the mismatch could make things even worse. 
To explain life in our inflation nation, we turn to Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter, and Rick Santelli, who reports on economic data in a lively fashion from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. All right, well, the headline number comes in as expected, hot, 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 8.5% remains a 41-year high. You have to go back to 1981. It doesn't sound like a pretty picture, and fair enough, it isn't. But markets reacted sort of positively on the news this morning because economists are hoping this might be the peak, the worst of it, and that perhaps things have moderated. We'll check back in with Rick's report today. But the gains and where we stick on the board is going to remain higher than it was, and that's really what the middle class and most people in America understand. Joe, back to you. Yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Steve, so uh, uh, there, you said that they're pretty good at getting these right. So I don't, I'm not implying there is a, uh, uh, either you or uh, Steve, Rick, I'm not implying there is a whisper number of, a, of a, uh, something even worse than what we're seeing. So that's probably not what we're seeing. They weren't expecting worse. But maybe when you, back out energy and food. Is there some moderation in some of the other uh, things that we're watching, Steve? Why do you think the market reacted positively and why did the 10-year drop uh, down to 1.72? Uh, maybe because it wasn't worse than expected. I think, I think you're right, Joe. Maybe there was some whisper number. And that could come from the idea that, look, uh, from, from the initial commodity price into consumer prices, there's a time lag and a lot of stuff goes on. You don't know, by the way, uh, there could be some producers out there and companies, Joe, something to watch out for in, in all these CEO interviews that we do here is, is there profit margin pressure? Do they absorb some of that and not pass it along to the consumer? A couple areas, uh, energy up 11 percent, uh, uh, Food up 1%. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot. You're 8.8% on food year over year. That's huge. Uh, the only thing that was decent in there, and Rick should care a lot about this. Rick, your used car prices were down. I'm going to double check this number. 3.8%. Was I right about that? Yes. They're still up 35% on the year. So don't get too excited, my friend. But at least for this month, they were down. New vehicles up 0.2. Yeah, I think that's a very important point just on the conceptualization that we are seeing certain areas like used car prices come down a bit. But in the near term, when you compare that to how much they originally went up, it's the same thing that the government's saying, well, wow, look at how much we reverse the national debt or the deficit. Same thing, okay? When you have giant spikes, small drops may look right. like something large until you compare them to the actual move. But I have something. Joe, you asked a good question. You know, Joe, I traded a lot back in the day. And let's say you shorted bonds expecting inflation numbers to be hot, hot, hot. And they were hot. Okay, so you see you're right, and all of a sudden you don't see yields spiking. It's what we call the mogul. It was the nervousness in the positions before the numbers. Now those people that had the right positions are trying to finesse their way out of those positions. When that all clears the zone, I fully suspect you might see some upward pressure again. Buy the rumor, sell the news. Rick, let me ask you one thing. The, the, the quick moves that we've seen in Treasury yields and this big step up, how much of that is because of the expectation that the Fed is going to be raising rates more aggressively? And how much of that is the idea that they're not going to be the big buyer? If they're buying 20 percent of the market every time it rolls out, if they're not doing that anymore, obviously that, that's going to drive up yields, too. What, how do you break that down, or is there any way to do well, it? Well, yes. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of people are trying to make some big hay on the notion that the, uh, the yen, of course, is very close to 20-year lows versus the dollar. The Japanese have sponsored our 
debt through purchases. Is that going to make a big difference now that the uh, Fed, of course, is going to stop buying? My answer to that is all this matters, but I wouldn't worry about it. Look at the state of the globe. Remember, we grade on a curve. The U.S. is going to draw capital, and there will be many countries, in my opinion, to replace the Federal Reserve in purchasing our debt, at least for a while, to see how the government gets on track trying to control some of the big issues that we face. And in terms of how interest rates are moving, I don't know that uh, the Fed is the number one calculus there. The Fed is using and baiting the markets to go higher, to do the work they failed to do in a timely fashion. And ultimately, the intersection ahead is, is that rates most likely are going to come back down to meet the Federal Reserve at some slower growth point in the future. 1981. Let's see. I remember. I remember. Uh, I don't know what you were doing, Rick. I was actually starting as a retail broker. I was seven- listening to Lionel Richie. That's what <laughs> I was doing. Richie Lionel. I was uh, <laughs> yeah, in a training class for Merrill Lynch, and the Dow was at 780. So we've had a, yeah, a Granville long said we couldn't go any higher, right? Right. We had a long <laughs> period though, and now now we're back to it. It makes me wonder. Those great, you know, we had 40 great years of of stock and and bond action. I just wonder. Uh, it's, it seems kind of now we're, we made the round trip back to those numbers from, from 1980. When you said and we mobile- didn't have delusions that we could control Mother Nature. You know, this, this is the thing. Uh, anybody out there ever get water in your basement? Okay. When you get water in your basement, you understand how tough it is to fight and win against Mother Nature. But yet we have many of these countries that think they, they have Mother Nature under control. They have it all figured out that they're really going to be able to recycle these horrible batteries. Yeah, I don't know, Joe. There's a lot of issues Rick, out there. Buddy. What, what kind of mogul? Were you talking about it like a, on a, a, a ski slope up that people are looking at a mogul? Is that what you said? Yeah, like skiing. Yeah, 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 like yeah. Skiing, no, skiing I am, I'm afraid of those the because I, I know I'm going to cross my tips probably and, and, and take a header or something. Uh, so that, that, that's a very good analogy, and I understand it. Do you, do you ever worry? You, you just, your knees are, are still so good that you, you're just like a shock absorber on the moguls? Do you worry about those? I don't worry about them. You just double diamond, mogul slope, no, no problemo? Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not like racing down them. Okay. But you can't traverse because you can't. No, no, no. You need but I know I'll, I'll pop between, but I'm take, I, I'll take my time. You never cross your tips. I try not to. <laughs> yeah, we all do. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, th- thank you. What would Rick say? He was listening to Lionel Richie? Oh, my God. Uh, well, uh, I'm just looking. Urgent yeah. by Foreigner was at the top of the st- charts. Urgent the emergency. Best of Times by Styx. Uh, hold on tight by ELO. You got Betty Davis eyes being oh, no. really uh, Who's crying now by Journey. For okay. your eyes only. That was a while. It's 780 on the Dow. You yeah. believe that? That was a good buy. That was a good well, buy. Coming up after the break, another factor that could hit our inflation rate here at home: quarantines in China. Former Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd on the global risks of China's COVID lockdowns. People have a razor-sharp lens on is the further impact on global supply chains of interruption in Chinese manufacture and the further impact which that has in turn on global inflation rates, which, as you know, is already affecting interest rates here in the United States. More Squawk Pod after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. All right, Andrew has these stories next. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Manager Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Which way are we headed? As silly as uh, Philadelphia reinstituting the mask uh, mandate. I don't know what that means for... Uh, I think probably China is more important than what happens there. Yeah, in, in Philly, it's interesting, too. They're, they're not doing it for a week, even though the cases are climbing. I don't, I don't think cases are all that high, but they're doing it a week from now because they want to give the week to, to kind of re-educate people on what this means. Right. I think people will probably watch Philly to see what kind of blowback they get for this, too. It's, it's very strange. Because you see huge crowds and no masks, and then you have masks required in some areas. As if COVID only exists in certain places exactly. and not in others. Exactly. strange. I, I mean, the other thing that's been so weird is the gridiron dinner. There were, I think, something like 74 cases that had been picked up from that dinner the, a, a week right. ago. The, in DC. Right. Just over a week ago. Um, all those cases got picked up because it's really high profile. So you know when the Commerce Secretary gets it. You know when Merrick Garland gets it. You know just the, the people who were there, they're able to count it. What was happening there was no different than what's happening in sporting events all over the country in different places, indoor events where everybody's unmasked. Um, Huge crowds at Augusta, but it was outside. Yeah, but I was going to say, I was going to say a lot of the outdoor stadiums are different, and even some of the indoor stadiums. But even some of the indoor stadiums are different. Golly, we'll talk talk to you about how an indoor indoor stadium can be a different story, too. You know what tonight is? What? What's tonight? You expressed a strong Tuesday, interest in Tuesday night. Tuesday you expressed night. a strong interest in the return of Kyrie. So it's the play in tonight versus Cleveland. I'm just wondering whether you're still able to overcome your scruples uh, with your um, that you mask. want the but you want. I would wear a mask. I'm talking about that. You want Kyrie to play even though he's not vaccinated. You. you oh. Well, for the purposes of the Nets, yes, I do. But I know, that's, that's completely what I against my right. own you philosophy. Ad- you and Eric Adams. No, that's completely <laughs> okay. against my, my own Let philosophy. I, I would much prefer that we were consistent the whole time. Let me ask you this. This is more, well, not more important. Okay. This Moneyline, Nets, Durant, plus 30. Sounds like a bit, pretty good mm. bet, does If you can get a, an odds boost on that when you take it, do you think, don't you think Durant's going to really show up tonight? Yeah, but by how much? He's got, to, he's got to score 30. And then just money line. And, and that's because they're, they're eight and a half point favorites. As you know, I'm not a gambler. Just give so. me the go ahead on, on me. I give it. Go for it. My, go for it. I've got You're five bucks. I went, go for it. I went big on this. Ten. Seven. <laughs> I did. Hey, I, did I went ten. I did ten. 
COVID restrictions finally easing somewhat for some residents of Shanghai. About 40% of housing complexes there have reported no new infections for two weeks, meaning residents can now leave their homes. But if a single new case is reported in the complex, the lockdown comes back for the entire complex. At the same time, the U.S. government announcing all non-emergency employees will be withdrawn from the consulate in Shanghai. Joining us right now to talk about China's COVID curbs is Kevin Rudd. He's the former prime minister of Australia and currently the president and CEO of the Asia Society. By the way, he's also the author of The Avoidable War, The Dangers of a Catastrophic Conflict Between the U.S. and Xi Jinping's China. Um, Kevin, great to see you. Why, why don't we start out just by what's happening with these lockdowns? They have been severe, the zero COVID policy. Um, you would have thought it bought yeah. them time, that they, they could have maybe addressed the situation better. I'm, I'm not sure it's been put to the base, best use. Well, I think you're right. Uh, there's a lot of criticism of the way in which this has been handled within China itself. A, the level of vaccine rollout, particularly among older Chinese. And secondly, of course, the effectiveness of the locally produced vaccine. And so far, China's refusal to... Uh, distribute um, mRNA vaccines, which have been provided to them by the United States. So on the scale of what we're now seeing, Becky, I think the reports that I see indicate that you've got some 22 cities across the country now with varying stages of lockdown, including 13 of China's largest cities. So you're starting to look at about 200 million people affected. So that's getting up towards about you know 20% of the Chinese economy. And I think this is going to continue to expand. The most recent reports are of impending lockdown in Guangzhou, in the south of the country, after Shanghai, one of China's largest cities. I mean, have the authorities lost control at this point, and especially the pushback they're getting from their citizens with these lockdowns and these extreme measures that are being taken, people starving in their apartments? There's been a lot of criticism uh, of the way in which the government and the Chinese Communist Party have handled this. For example, in Shanghai, when you start to see uh, banners appearing across the street uh, from the local party committees warning residents not to spread rumours um, or to go onto the internet about problems arising from the pandemic, you know that the local party apparatus is deeply concerned. For the future, there are two things for us to bear in mind, however. One is, so far, the actual impact in terms of uh, deaths or people seriously impacted by uh, this outbreak of the pandemic has been relatively low. Mm -hmm. The real impact is the extreme measures in terms of lockdown on the economy. Mm -hmm. And you see economists around the world now revising down their growth projections, not just for this quarter, but for China's annual growth projection, which before this stood at 5.5% growth. What does that mean for the rest of the world? Um, you know, China sneezes and the rest of the world may get a cold too. We've, we've watched what, it, what it's meant for oil prices. It's uh, brought things down pretty substantially. I think the impact of what's happening in China will be an overall economic slowdown, at least for the quarter ahead, as this works its way through across China's major cities. And the uh, regime's current policy is one of rolling series of lockdowns which of course means that economic activity grinds to a halt across various slabs of the Chinese economy. Aggregate growth will therefore be down. The uh, uh, major uh, forecasters now have revised growth down to about 4% for the year. But then when you look at the particular roll-on effects for the rest of the global economy, 
What people have a razor-sharp lens on is the further impact on global supply chains of interruption in Chinese manufacture and the further impact which that has in turn on global inflation rates, which, as you know, is already affecting interest rates here in the United States. All right, let's maybe bring that out and, and think a little more long term. This supply chain issue has been so aggravated over the last couple of years. We keep thinking we're getting to the end and then something else happens to make us realize that it's not going to be easy going from here. Do you see major changes from this with, with supply chains, with countries like the United States manufacturing more at home and, and less of this globalization? That's certainly been posited by some big thinkers. Well, a lot of uh, debate in the United States and, frankly, in Europe and elsewhere, too, about um, onshoring, um, that is, returning manufacturing capability and capacity uh, from China to uh, original countries of origin, the United States, the Europeans and elsewhere. But none of the local labor cost questions uh, get solved as a result of that overnight. What's more likely to happen, I think, over time, Becky, is you're going to see some reshoring that is uh, perhaps out of China and into the rest of, let's call it, uh, manufacturing-friendly Southeast Asia and South Asia. I think we may see evidence of that. When I last saw a poll, for example, of AmCham, the American Chamber of Commerce membership in China, they had some 20% of uh, companies saying that unless the Chinese government began changing their COVID lockdown policy, then they'd have to consider actively uh, moving their plant elsewhere. Kevin, given the relationship Australia has with, with China, it, it's an important, it's almost a symbiotic relationship for, for so many things. And, uh, you know, given your past um, sort of embrace of uh, zero carbon initiatives and, and what we've seen now in Europe, in Germany, and, you know, whether the transition was being rushed, I'm just wondering what, what's the right move for Australia right now in terms of an all-in energy uh, policy, whether you do, I don't know, go back and, and revisit clean fossil fuel uh, alternatives and, and dealing with so much with China with their full speed ahead in, in terms of coal-powered uh, plants and the like. How do you, have, it, 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 is it make me chased, but just not quite as soon as we thought before? What, what do you, what, what is your, has your thinking evolved on any of that? <laughs> uh, I do love you very much. The, um, the, uh, yes, St. Augustine's injunction, uh, make me chase law, but not just yet. Um, on the question of climate change and uh, renewable energy adjustment, remember what's been embraced at a global level, which is carbon neutrality by mid-century, that's 2050, with significant cuts in greenhouse gas uh, reductions by 2030. In other words, there's a relatively gradual transition in from. Well, it's uh, going to come fast, Kevin. I think it's going to come fast. I, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's doable without hurting uh, a lot of, of countries that, that aren't in a position to, to get hurt. Well, the bottom line is each country will make their adjustments according to their local energy circumstances. Right. Take the Europeans, big slab of the global economy. They've now discovered there's geopolitical uncertainty coming out of oil and gas coming out of Russia. They've got two alternatives. Do you transition to oil and gas out of elsewhere, somewhere else in the Gulf, even perhaps Australia or elsewhere, or do you accelerate renewables? The truth is you're going to have a cocktail of these things done because geopolitics is actually causing insecurity in relation to carbon-based fuels. 
And then you've got this slow trajectory in bringing up renewables to cover the gap. I think we're going to see a lot of reliance on gas on the way through. Yeah. I think the honest answer to your question. Yeah, I agree. But you're going to have to you have to drill for gas. You have to drill. It's, it's a hydrocarbon. You got and, and uh, you know we're we almost cut off financing or at least for a lot of different forces. Uh, perfect storm making it much more difficult to plan long term for those types of uh, of initiatives. So we'll see what happens. But uh, definitely sort of a re rethinking of the whole move given uh, Vladimir Putin's moves and what happened to, to Europe. Mm. Well, geopolitics is big here and, um, and climate change is happening at the same time. If you're planning national energy policies, any of these major economies, it's a god awful mix of factors you've got to roll together in getting your energy transition right without damaging your economy. Let's talk a little bit about inflation. China just had their numbers um, last week, 8.5%. This is a global problem. It's something everybody is facing here. And I just wonder, with all of this inflation, how that adds to the geopolitical tensions, to the geopolitical concerns, to the global supply chain issues we were just talking about. I mean, it's, it's a difficult problem to kind of get your arms around in the best of times. But when you're talking about global inflation climbs like this, it's much more problematic. You're absolutely right. If you're sitting in the U.S. Uh, Fed or the Treasury at the moment, uh, you're looking at a massive set of geopolitical factors beyond the normal macroeconomic factors. You've got to roll into your planning machine, as it were. On the war in Ukraine, for example, that's not going away anytime soon. Uh, if you look at Putin's doubling down in the east of the country, we're going to enter into what I judge to be a more intense period of military activity. Therefore, the on-flow uh, effect in terms of global commodity prices, both agriculture and energy, will be big. Second, you've got these China factor factors, which we've all just been discussing. Um, and then third, basically in already pre-existing uh, internal inflationary pressures within the United States. I think we're in for a rough economic year, and it's going to take a lot of sober handling, both at the Fed and, frankly, central banks around the world, to not overreact because activity, I think, in the global economy is under some real pressure now. I agree. You know, you, you mentioned the Treasury complex, and that's a tricky one, too, with the Fed saying that it's going to be a seller from this point. It's not going to be a buyer. It's been 20 percent of the market to this point. So all of the increase you can see in, in, in rates to this point could be chalked up to that before they even actually start really raising rates. Um, different world. Kevin, thank you very much for joining us again. Kevin Rudd. Good to be with you. Good to see you. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, look out Etsy. Sellers on strike over rising costs from the platform. If you made the blouse and you right. try to sell it in a store, you're, you're they're charging you more than 5%. You're right. You're right. Yes, because in a store you are providing a lot you're more. You got to right. pay for the lights to be on. You got to pay for an employee to be there. You got to pay for the shipping costs. You were the one who was putting right. it up. But how? You're paying rent. What are you paying to run a website? That conversation and more right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. And we're back. Here's Andrew. We're not going to say welcome back to <laughs> Scott Fox, though we could. We're all together. Yeah. Sellers on Etsy beginning, you ready for this? A strike this week. They're protesting the site, raising the fee that it charges shop owners for transactions. The company boosted that fee from 5% to 6.5%. They did that just yesterday, the first increase since 2018. Etsy saying that hike is critical to increasing investments and its marketing and seller support services. Now, more than 20,000 sellers have signed a petition against the move. Etsy shares in the last year down about 46%. Of course, this had been a uh, pandemic winner and has turned out to be, at least as of now, a bit of a pandemic loser. I mean, that's kind of a jerk move to move to 6.5%. That's a significant take when all you are doing is providing the platform. These people make the products, they ship the products. You're not like a store where you're actually providing a service and all beyond. I, I mean, this is the reason technology stocks do so well because they have no capex. So you've got zero capex costs for setting this up there. I'm going to take the other side if I could. You're kidding. Well, someone's going to have to on have this a, one too? a debate right. about this. We don't have to debate well, no, every no. single thing. So, we can see an article so, in the Times and just like say, "Wow, that's weird," and without so saying, "Well, a couple I knew things. that." And First this. of all, Amazon. I don't know if we like Amazon or we don't like Amazon, but I believe charges more than this in terms in terms of their fee. There are fees associated with running a website. There are customers that come to it because of SEO and search. By the way, that is not something that is born. I don't know who you think is supposed to pay for that. Well, Somebody on, has to pay for Etsy, all of this I don't stuff. Know, I'm, on, I'm on Amazon and I'm on Etsy. On Etsy, I am buying things from people who are basically making it in their home. Crafts and different things. Oftentimes. These are all very small sellers. The stuff I bought on Etsy Oftentimes. has always been that. It's never a big right. producer. But the idea that, you, that you're getting charged 5% Five percent is pretty significant. Five percent, because I don't in, think these people are making a lot of money. But in, I of understand that. But in, and I, look, I, I, I'm sympathetic to anybody who's making anything. But the truth is that in most stores in America, if you were to, if you made a, you know what, if, Andrew, if, I'll, if you I'll made, just concede the point. If you, you made ahead. the blouse, you go ahead. if you made the, no, I'm saying I'll if you made the blouse you're and right. you try to sell it in a store, you're, you're they're charging you more than five percent. You're right. You're right. Yes, because in a store you are providing a lot You're more. You got to right. pay for the lights to be on. You got to pay for an employee to be there. You got to pay for the shipping costs. You were the one who was putting right. it up. But You're paying rent. What are you paying to run a website? Never mind. Never mind. That's the podcast for today. Thanks for listening to Squawk Pod. Hey, tell a friend to listen to. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at six Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.